Well, good morning. Thank you, Jeff. I, uh, I could have listened to that introduction all day, and for a moment I thought we are going to have to. Amen? <laughs> hey, I'm nobody. I love Jesus. I love my wife. I love my kids, and that's about, that's about all there is to it. I'm so privileged and honored. I am the least of these to be among you today, and I am so privileged and so honored to be able to be here in your midst today, and I have known Jeff and Lisa for uh, a long time. You guys are entering into an interesting season, a tra- season of transition, but aren't you glad that God was not on his throne in heaven caught off guard by the season of transition? God's not looking at Jesus. He's not pulling some of the disciples together and saying, what is plan B? No, my friends, God is on his throne, and this church is his church, and he has a divine and incredible plan for you in the days to come. I believe that with all of my heart, and uh, I believe that what we're going to talk about today is relevant for your season of life and your season of transition. I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2. It's a familiar story today. And I want to talk to you about this simple topic of whatever it takes. Could it be today that God may be doing whatever it takes to position you to do whatever it takes for him to do what he wants in your life or the life of this church? Could it be that God is moving in a way that you cannot comprehend in this moment so that his perfect plan and perfect will is accomplished? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to see a movement of God over the next few months. By the way, can I just say, this is just extra for you today. God doesn't need a a staff member or a pastor to move in an incredible way. Everything that Raytown and Lee Summit needs to see a gospel movement is sitting in the pews of this church. And connected and partnering with the power of the Holy Spirit, God is, hey, listen to me, God is not putting off his plan to transform people's lives until you get a new pastor. So why should you? However, I wonder how many of us are like my son. I have four kids. Their names are any, many, mighty, and it, because I promise you there ain't going to be a mo. (laughs) I've got a 15-year-old, pray for me. He just started driving yesterday. I've got a a, a 11-year-old who wears a size 12 men's shoe. He's got fire engine red hair. We call him opium on steroids. People say, Nathan, how can we pray for you? It's not very spiritual, but pray that he goes to the NFL so I can retire early, all right? (laughs) Then I've got a 10-year-old that's cute, mischievous, always gets out of trouble because he knows just how to look at you. And then we have a precious daughter that we adopted from Uganda. And uh, a while back, we were going down the road, and, and uh, my oldest son and my youngest son began to fight and argue. Have you ever had that happen in the car? And uh, I began to get very frustrated, but I looked back in the mirror. By, by the way, let me just say this to you. I have learned, I'm 38 years old, and I've learned who my heroes are. They are not politicians. Amen. Amen. They are not sports figures. They're not even preachers. My hero are those of you who raised your kids without a DVD system in your car. I don't know how you did it, (laughs) but you are one incredible person, I'll tell you. But I I look back, I saw my redhead son, and he had his hands folded. He was quiet. My oldest son, my youngest son were arguing, fighting. The volume was getting crazy. And he was just had his hands folded. He's looking out the window, and I said, Carter, man, Dad is so proud of you. He said, Dad, why are you proud of me? I said, because you're being good. 
He said, Dad, that's my job. I said, well, son, you're doing a good job at your job, I'll tell you. Well, about 15 minutes later, he decided to make that two-man argument, a three-man argument. The volume raised. I snapped. I looked back in the rearview mirror. I said, Carter, I thought you said your job was to be good. He said, yeah, Dad, but I decided to take the day off. (laughs) Hey, listen to me this morning. I wonder how many of us, under the sound of my voice, It could be said the same of you spiritually. Oh, you know what you're supposed to be doing. You know how you're supposed to be carrying out the gospel. You know the mission God has placed you on as a church. You know that God has gifted you. He's given you a a unique ability to play your part in furthering and advancing the gospel. But if you're just honest today, you would have to say, Nathan, I know what God has created me for. I know what God has called me to, but I have just decided to take the day off. Well, I came from Colorado to stop by to tell you today, there are no days off in the kingdom of God. There are people right outside the doors of this place that are dying and going to spend eternity without Jesus. If us, as, as Scripture says, we are the ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making His appeal through us, we are the mouthpieces of the gospel. And there are people in Raytown and Lee Summit in the surrounding areas who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we cannot afford to take the day off. And in this passage of Scripture, we see some friends who really got stirred of the condition of their friend. In this passage, we're going to see three different roles played. During the time of transition, your interim time, you're you're going to fit in one of these three roles. The first role we're going to see today, or one of the roles we're going to see today, is the spectator. That's those who come and watch. They they, They want to be there, but they don't want to be a part of it. They they don't want to do the hard work, but they want to reap the benefit of it. There are the spectators. The second people there are, and there are always these. I've been an interim pastor of three churches. There are always these. There's the aggravators. Look at your neighbor and say, are you the aggravator? No, don't do that, really. They're the aggravators. They're just people that if Jesus walked in and walked down this aisle, they would complain about how he dressed. They would complain about what he looks like. They would, I mean, it it just, they're, they're just people that have the spiritual gift of aggravation. And then there are those that I'm calling you to today. Those are the participators. It's not good to just come and sit and soak. You want to be a part of it. You want God to use you. You want to see people's lives transformed through the grace of of how God is working in your life through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. You want to be a part of it. You don't want to just sit and soak. You want to be in the game. You want to be on the field. You want to be all that God has called you to be. My dear friends, let me ask you this question. Could you imagine what God would do with a church full of this many people who said, I refuse to sit by and let people die and go to hell. I'm, in, I'm getting in the game. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum, and after some days it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing him a paralytic, 
carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their heart, what does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to rise, take up your bed and walk. Hey, pay attention to this next verse. Jesus says, but that you may know the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them. So they were all amazed, glorify God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Hey, real quick this morning, listen to it. Did you see what happened? When Jesus was present, when the word was being preached, you could not contain the crowd. When, when, when Jesus is central, people flock. Notice another thing. Jesus hears the aggravators, the scribes, and Jesus calls them out. And Jesus says, I am about to move among you so that you may know. The third thing is, when Jesus moves in this man's life, people are amazed. And they said, we've never seen anything like this. You know what I call those things? Revival. <laughs> A movement of God. And it's within your grasp, my friends, here at Connection Point. I want to show you very quickly four observations. I want to ask you some practical application questions this morning. The first observation we see, this is the most crucial observation of all, found in verse 3 and 4. It says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and made an opening and let down the bed on which, uh, let down a bed on which the paralytic lay. The first thing we must understand, first observation, there's, here are four men. They have a friend that they are, they, they are concerned about his condition. They hear that Jesus is in town, that he's preaching the word, that this man can change lives and transform people's lives. And so they went to his friend, their friend, and they created some kind of makeshift gurney, and they put him on it, and they begin the trek to Jesus. The first observation we must understand today is simply this. They were driven by burden. They were driven by a burden for their friend's condition. Hey, listen to what happens. They go and they do the work in order to get him to Jesus. Why? It's not because they thought, oh, he's got a problem, let's help him. No, it's because they had a friend that needed, a, uh, needed something that only Jesus could provide, and they were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend in front of Jesus. And it wasn't because they liked him. It wasn't because they grew up with him. It's because they were burdened by his condition because they knew that his condition is one that only Jesus could address. 
Let me tell you something, my friends. There are people outside of the walls of this church that, are, that have a condition known as sin, and there is only one that can address the condition known as sin, and his name is Jesus. But I want you to understand this morning, there, please listen to me, there is a difference between being bothered and being burdened. You see, when you're bothered, you can put it back to the back of your mind. When you're bothered, you can sleep at night. When you're burdened, your heart beats to see that person come to Jesus. Your heart beats to see their condition be put before the great physician. You see, my dear friends, what would happen if a church this size was full of people that were burdened for the people that God has put in your life that do not know Christ? Let me say this to you, my dear friends. There are people in this room, there are people at this church, there are people under the sound of my voice that you are more burdened by sports, politics and economics than you are about people coming to Jesus. All of that is temporary, my friends. There are people in this room, there are people in this church, there are people in the sound of my voice that you have kids and grandkids who do not know Jesus. When is the last time you became burdened for them? When is the last time your heart hurt knowing that they are far from God or they would be separated from God? When is the last time that friend or that neighbor, that coworker, when is the last time that you wept tears knowing that if Jesus returned in this moment, they would spend all of eternity separated from him in a place called hell? Hey, listen to me, church. I used to think that the worst part about hell was the heat, and then I lived in Texas. Hey, that's not the worst part about hell. The worst part about hell is that, th that, 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 that you would be eternally separated from the love and the mercy and the presence of God and Jesus, and yet you would know it and could do nothing about it for all of eternity. Dear friends, listen to me this morning. These, these, these men, they go to their friend, they bring him to Jesus because they were driven by burden. Are you burdened for the lost in your community or are you just bothered? See, because the truth is some of you have worked your entire life to, and you've developed a plan to leave your kids and your grandkids an inheritance, but you've not been burdened enough to lead them to the place where they have an eternal inheritance. Just picture what God would do if every one of you as a part of this church became so driven by burden to bring others to Jesus. Just picture, hey listen to me, just picture what God would do in your interim time if you got burdened, if you couldn't sleep because there are people in your life who don't know Christ and you want to be the mouthpiece of the gospel. You see, these men were driven by burden. Second observation I want you to see is that they were willing to do whatever it took. I love this. These men, they hear that Jesus are in town. They come to this place. They're carrying their friends. They get to the place, and all of a sudden, 
The crowd is too big that no one else can get in. The crowd is outside of the house. Everybody's pining to hear one simple word from Jesus, and they get there. And listen to me. Here's the difference amid being burdened and being bothered. If you're bothered, you get there, and you say, oh, man, we can't get in. Sorry, we'll come back, and we leave. It's kind of like that person who who was on a diet and pulled up to Krispy Kreme and said, all right, God, you know, I know I'm on a diet, but I really need to... I really need to be careful here. And so, God, here's the deal. If, if there is a front row parking place, I'll take it from you that I'm supposed to have a donut. It's amazing. After 13 times around the building, an open parking place came on the front row, right? See, what happens is these friends, they get to before the people, and, and, and they can't get to Jesus. It's, it's crazy. The crowd is huge. And, 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 and if they were just bothered, they would have looked at their friend and said, man, we did all we could do. We, 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 we're sorry. The, 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 the obstacles are too great to overcome. And, and, and so I'm just, hey, man, thank you. I'm sorry. We'll take you back to your street corner. We'll take you back to where you are. And we tried, and we'll lay our pillow on the head tonight knowing that we tried. That's being bothered. These men were not bothered. These men were burdened. What did we mean? When they get to the crowd, they start elbowing their way through the crowd. They start thinking through their their minds, we've got to engineer a process because we can't get him to the door. And can you imagine one of them looked up and said, hey guys, and they elbowed each other and said, we're going up there. What do you mean we're going up there? I want you to think about how creative they had to be. They had to get through the crowd They had to build some kind of pulley system to raise this guy up on the roof. They had to, with their hands, dig through the roof and create a large enough hole to get this man laying on a gurney down in front of Jesus. And they had to figure out which room Jesus was in. Let me tell you something. This took time and effort and creativity. It was not some haphazard way of getting their friend to Jesus. But here's the deal. They were burdened that Jesus is the only one that could solve the problem this man had. So they get to this house. They get up on the roof. They tear a hole in the roof. By the way, I wonder if they were worrying about the homeowner suing them. (laughs) Hey, listen, the point is they were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend in front of the one who could change his life. For most of us, we bring up Jesus in our conversations and somebody shuts us down and we, we go away quietly and, and, and we just give up and we just quit. Listen to me. Their eternities are at stake. We've got to be a, a, a people, a, the, the living church. You've got to be a church here in, 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 in your area in Raytown and Lee Summit who says we're not going to stop at barriers. We're going to push through barriers because people's eternities are worth it. And we will stop at nothing until our community hears of the glorious news of Jesus Christ, of the freedom that he brings and the grace he freely gives. We will stop at nothing and we will do whatever it takes. Oh, friends, it'll be hard. It takes intentionality. It takes effort. It costs you something. It's amazing when you look at churches, how much of their money goes to things internally, how, less, how few of it goes to reaching the, gospel, uh, the community with the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Are you burdened today? 
for that son or that grandson, that granddaughter who's running from God, that son or that daughter who doesn't know Christ, that husband or that wife, you're here today by yourself because they don't know Christ and they don't want anything. Are you burdened? Is your heart hurting today? Is your heart beating fast in this moment because you know that if Jesus were to come back, they would spend eternity without him. Are you willing to do whatever it takes and stop at nothing short of them knowing the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus? Because let me tell you something, this third observation we're going to see, in order to face it head on, you've got to be burdened. And you've got to be willing to go through whatever you have to go through, and you have to be willing to do whatever you have to in order for those to see Jesus. The third observation that we see in this scripture is found in verse 6 through 9. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves, he said, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know. Here these men had put in great effort. They interrupted a church service to drop a man at the feet of Jesus that he may be changed and healed. Things seem to be exciting in the moment. And then comes the aggravators, the criticizers. You see, the third observation is first, you have to be driven by burden. Second, they were willing to do whatever it takes. But third, they were not deterred by criticism and opposition. Hey, listen to me, church. If you were to say during this interim time, we as a church, we are going to covet it together, that we're going to do whatever it takes. I believe next Sunday you're talking about being all in, that we're going to be all in, and we're going to be burdened for our lost uh, friends in our community, and we're going to do whatever it takes. We're not going to wait on a pastor for a movement of God. We're going to position our heart for a movement of God. I promise you, I promise you, the more excited you get about Jesus and more burden you get for lost people, the more people are going to come out of the woodwork work to oppose you in your life. My grandfather was a preacher. He used to say this about criticizers. He used to say, I despise those guys who criticize and minimize those vigorous guys whose enterprise helped them rise above those guys who criticize. I'll give you a hundred dollars when you say that backwards, all right? I'm going to say it again. I despise those guys who criticize and minimize those vigorous guys whose enterprise helped them rise above those guys who Criticize. Hey, listen, the point is simply this. The louder you get about Jesus, the louder the aggravators and the criticizers and, 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 and those people in your life that say, you need to be quiet. You're not worthy to tell about the grace of Jesus. I know what you did last weekend. I know what your life is. Listen to me. The louder you get for Jesus, the louder the opposition will get. And you need to just stand firm and you need not to be deterred because you are on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, if the gospel, de- yeah, if the, hey, listen, if the gospel depended on you, you'd mess it up anyways. If the gospel was dependent on me, it would be a hopeless gospel. 
But the gospel is dependent on Jesus and what he's already done. And our job is not to try and, 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 and position ourselves to be an expert. Our job is to position ourselves to be a sinner saved by grace, trying to tell you how you can experience the forgiveness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know, my friends, it is not easy. The hardest, most fierce opposition you will ever receive will often come in the times you are walking closest to the Lord. These men, they walk up to the house, they got people, you know they got people say, man, get away, I'm trying to listen to Jesus. That's how I know that had to be a Baptist church. <laughs> Jesus is in the house and people are upset. Jesus is preaching the word, a man's fixing to be healed, a roof's fixing to be removed, and people are complaining, heaven's sakes, how in the world? I don't know, folks, listen to me, I just, when I got saved, I never got over it. <laughs> I want as many people to hear. I, take my seat. Take my parking place. I don't care as long as you hear the gospel. I told my brother earlier, there's a, a friend up in the, in the choir loft, man, he was enthusiastic about worship. Why? Because Jesus changed his life. And when Jesus, listen to me, I'm going to start preaching now. I got to stay on script here, all right? Listen, they were not deterred by criticism or opposition. The fourth thing is simply this. They were motivated for people to know the power of Jesus. Jesus himself says, what is it you're questioning? And I love this statement. I love this statement that Jesus makes. So that you may know. By the way, Jesus didn't save you because you're awesome. Quite the contrary. Jesus saved you so others may know the power of Jesus. Trust me, it takes a motive like knowing the power of Jesus to save me and to save you. We are unlovable often. But Jesus looks at these scribes, he looks at these aggravators, he looks at these criticizers, these opposers, and he says, listen, I want you to know this so that you may know that I am who I say I am, so that you may know that I have the power to forgive sin. So I'm fixing to put on a show so that you may know who I am. By the way, I want everybody just to think for a moment. When is that moment you came to Christ? Just think about it, just like that. Whether it was at a church, it was on the front aisle, it was at the side of your bedroom, it was at your grandmother. Just think about when you came to know Christ. Let me just tell you something. Jesus put on a show right then. So that, you, so that others may know the power of Jesus. These men were not motivated by a pat on the back. They were not looking for a gold star. They just simply were burdened for their friend. They were willing to do whatever it took. They were not going to listen to those who told them to be quiet, those who told them to stay back, those who told them it's too crowded. They went on the roof. They opened the roof. They lowered the man down in front of Jesus. Jesus put on a show, and right there, listen to me, their motivation was not for people to applaud them. Their motivation was to put their friend in front of Jesus because they believed that Jesus could change them. They believed that Jesus could address the issue of their friend. Understand this, my friends. They were motivated for people to know the power of Jesus. How motivated are you? 
for that son or that grandson, that daughter, that granddaughter, that niece, that nephew, that brother, that sister, that husband, that, that neighbor, that coer. How motivated are you? Hey, listen to me, my friends. We're motivated. Hey, you get on Facebook. You start getting motivated by all these people on these health kicks, don't you? I do, until I pass the Baskin Robbins. Everywhere you go, there's somebody selling a health product that can change your life. There's somebody saying, invest in this and you can get rich overnight. And, and all of us, listen to me, all of us, we are, we are motivated by something. But the truth is, if we as a church, if we as people become motivated simply at the power of Jesus working in people's lives, the Holy Spirit would move in our churches today like never before. Why? Because there is no power like the power of Jesus. There is no one who can change your life like Jesus. There is no one who can restore your marriage like Jesus. There is no one that can help you overcome anxiety and depression like Jesus. There is no one that can help your neighbor like Jesus. There is no one that can meet you where you are in your brokenness like Jesus. My friends, listen, you can search the world to and fro, to and fro, and you will never find anyone who has the power to change lives like Jesus Christ. We must be motivated by that power. Now, let me just address this real quick. Some of you are questioning in your heart, why does this man say this stuff? You found which one of those roles you are, right? <laughs> hey, listen to me. If, I mean, you've got to believe that Jesus will change somebody's life. And once you do, you become burdened. You say, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm not going to listen to the opposition, the naysayers, the criticizers, the opposers. Why? Because I am motivated by Jesus. I am motivated by Jesus. Let me ask you four quick questions. Number one, who in your life is waiting on you to bring them to Jesus? Who in your life is waiting on you to bring them to Jesus? Number two, to what extent are you willing to go for them to meet Jesus? Number three, what are your motives in the way you live on mission for Christ? What are your motives? Number four, in what ways is God working in my life that amazes others? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? I want you to go back with me on a hot, steamy July day. July 2nd, 1863, smell of death is in the air as the humidity rises. We find ourselves on the battlefield of Gettysburg, leading the charge that day, leading the charge of protecting the left flank of the Union forces is a young school teacher by the name of Joshua Chamberlain. That day, Joshua had led his troops to fight five bloody battles, losing over half of his platoon from the attacks of the 15th and 47th regiments of Alabama. 
Half of his crew was gone. They were out of ammunition, yet they stood on top of the hill looking down at the 15th and the 47th flank of the regiment of Alabama. Scared, fearful, not knowing the outcome. His captain came up to him and said, Joshua, we, we're out of bullets. We're half the army that we were. We're half the, half the troops that we were, and we're out of ammunition. Joshua, we're doomed. Joshua, we must retreat. We cannot go forward. The opposition is too large. The risks are too high. We cannot go forward. We must retreat. Joshua looked at his battle-weary soldiers without ammunition, worn out, many losing their friends that day, and he said to them, we cannot retreat. Fix bayonets. He said, Joshua, fix bayonets? What do you mean? Man, you're crazy. We can't do this. And he said, fix bayonets. We will charge or we will die. And Joshua stood up on a rock or a stump and he called what was left of his troops together. And he said, charge, charge, charge. In that moment, the motivation took place in the rest of those troops' hearts, and they began to charge that mountain with everything they had. And when the 15th and 47th Regiment of Alabama looked up at the top of the hill and they saw this, this, uh, 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 this group charging down, they thought they had called for reinforcements, and they retreated backwards. Hey, listen to me. That one battle changed a war. That one war changed a nation. Today, I stand before you saying, in our world, in our society, in your transition time, it would be easy to say, we can't do it. It would be easy to say, the opposition's too great. But I say to you today, charge, charge, charge with the power of the Holy Spirit and the message of the gospel and the passion and burden of the people. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Rise up, church. There are lost people out there. It is not time to sit and soak. It is not time to buy time in the interim time. It is time to charge, charge, charge. And with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, there is no telling what God wants to do. That one moment of you surrendering to the burden, surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit, and surrendering to, to whatever God may have. Listen, it could change the course of this church. It could change the course of this community. It could change the course of your city, our state, even you, us together. Listen to me. If we got burden and we pressed into the power of the Holy Spirit, it could change the course of our nation forever. Charge, charge, charge. Would you pray with me for just a moment? Every head bowed and every eye closed, just a moment. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. After I pray, here's two, two invitations. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, oh, how he loves you. 
He gave his life for you. He charged to Calvary for you. And in just a few moments after I finish praying, I want to invite you. There'll be ministers down front. I just want you to invite you to come take one in my hand and say, look, I need Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to know the grace of God. The second group that I'm going to be talking to after I pray is simply this, and I'm going to encourage you to do this. The second group is all of you in this church. God's placed somebody on your heart today that doesn't know him. I'm going to invite and encourage you after I pray to get up out of your seat. I know it's uncomfortable. And I'm going to invite you to come get on your knees in front at this church and as a church begin to get burdened for those outside of this place that don't know Christ. Those in your family, your children, your grandchildren, your, your spouse, your neighbor. And I'm going to invite you to come get on your knees and begin to cry out to God with a, a heart for those who don't know him. What if you're the only person who have ever prayed for them? And what if today is the first time you've ever done it? You don't know what God wants to do, but you need to charge. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move in this place in an unbelievable way. All over this place, God, that those who don't know you would, would take courage and get out of their seat and say, I want to know Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. And all over this place, even now, God, people would just be so burdened. They just get up and they come get on their knees and they fall before you and just say, I'm praying for this person or God, give me a burden. God, I know what it's like to receive your grace and I I desperately want others to know that. God, whatever you want to do, would you do it in this moment, in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Hey, listen to me all over this place. I want you to begin moving to the front. If God's burdened your heart for this, I want you to move to the front and just get on your knees and begin praying for people in your community that don't know Christ. Hey, sometimes, listen, our burden can sometimes be directly correlated to our prayer life. There are people in your life that God has placed strategically and intentionally who don't know him. And if the church won't pray for them, we are doomed. So all over this place, as we begin singing, all over this place, would you just ask your neighbor to excuse you and just come get on your knees, begin praying by name for that person in your life that doesn't know Jesus and watch what God will do.